Dads, only on Badger Radio. Right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Badger Radio. Welcome to our new show, Intense. The show that's trying to explain why the hell we go to festivals. Traipsing through the mud, dressed up like loonies in a glitter binge, and dancing till we drop. I'm your host, Freddie Drabble, co-founder of The Artful Badger. And I'll be playing you tunes from all the best bands and acts at the festival this year. Bringing you interviews with all the groundbreaking creatives that shape your festival experiences and reportage direct from the arena. We wanted to toss in a few games, but unfortunately the weather has turned, which is very, very sad, but we'll get that at the next festival, I'm sure. A massive thanks to the composer Orlando from Pixel Phonics for our new theme tune. What did you think? Let us know. We want feedback even on that. He's a composer of the FA Cup theme, uh, if you wondered who made that. And um, he also did the Confused.com jingle and the TV series Modern Life is Rubbish. So we're bloody lucky to have Orlando. Thank you to him for this amazing theme too. You can check his work at pixelphonics.com. So to kick off, let's play. Oh, it's got to be every, every UK reggae fan's hero. No, Toots and the Maytals. 54, 46 was my number. And I'll be interviewing him later this season at the Mandrea Festival in the Alps in Northern Italy. So tune in here on Mixcloud in August to hear the man, well, nay, the god, Toots and the Maytals himself. Let me know if you want me to ask him anything in particular. So it's been a tradition from the start to close the festival on the Sunday with these reggae bands, as they worked for years with Island Records. Uh, Desmond Decker played the most amazing, heartwarming set here the summer before he died in uh, May 2006, which I was lucky enough to be on stage for. I don't think Toots' set will be any less rousing, but I do remember Desmond collecting all this sort of festy fluff that people were sort of, sort of placing gingerly onto the stage like an offering and, and hanging them appreciatively on his mic like they were some sort of offering to, to, to the god of love or something. What a man. Anyway, we might have to play Toots' Desmond Decker came first for the Mandrea Festival just to show our honour for, for Desmond's memory. Right, here it is, Toots of the Maytals, 5446. Take it up, mister! Yeah, what I say, sir, yeah. Me. I wouldn't do that. No, I 
festival which Banjo was born here on Secret FM should be the subject of our very first Life in the Festivals podcast, Intense. But it is without doubt, with a fair amount of sadness and, and nostalgia, that we get pumping for the very last Secret Garden party. Uh, it's going to be an emotional one. and We've all been here for a very long time. So we've got a very special show for you as we look into the past to a trailblazing festival that set the bar really, really high for creativity, uh, also for theatricality and music, and to which festivals have been aspiring to so really since uh, the Secret Garden started getting media attention. Anything but secret, this uh, festival, uh, the subject of today's show, The Secret Garden, has been going for 13 years now and started with only 500 people around a lake and one live stage and a DJ tree and continued to double in size each year until it peaked at around 25,000 people. Uh, its reputation is almost mythical as bands and performers tussle to get their chance to perform on even, even the most peripheral of stages. Um, as much for the publicity as also for the chance to spend the weekend bumping into all of their friends from the other festivals. Uh, this kind of temporary community has the power to motivate and inspire at uh, the most remarkable level of bespoke ideas and, and total commitment to the vision uh, as it's realised. And in the next hour and a half or so, we'll be finding out more uh, about some of the best success stories as we talk to our guests today. Many of these creatives, uh, through the platform which they've been given, have not only presented the most ambitious projects of their careers, but they've also launched companies into the wider events and entertainment industries to, to remarkable critical acclaim. Um, it seems as if creative integrity and the playfulness of such a format has a significant impact um, on the more conventional market. You know, maybe they're coming around to you know the, the fun theme. So if you want to change the world, um, you've got to let the underground go mainstream. Uh, so maybe we you know we might find ourselves heading in that direction on our, our little research of this festival today. Um, because that's what's happening, you know, the underground is becoming mainstream. Just think about electronic music, you know. So, right, have we got a show for you today? Um, I'm hoping lots of you know a little bit about the Secret Garden, but for those of you who don't, this is going to be really, really, really interesting. So let's get straight down to the nuts and bolts of this seemingly endless list of success stories. The Crystal Fighters we're going to start with. Uh, Returns of the Secret Garden party this year to headline the main stage having played their first festival gig here a long time ago, many, many years ago, and they're now world famous and have about two and a half million followers on SoundCloud. But they are so humble and they're so grateful for the leg up that the owner, Fred Fellows, uh, who does all the music programming for the main stages, gave to their careers. And they were just so humble. Uh, I, I saw an interview recently where they said they felt honored and trusted 
to rock the main stage. So here it is, the Fear of Faden remix of the Crystal Fighters tune, Plage.
Radio. Right, so how are we going to do this, right? So we've broken the festivals down for you into what I'm calling pillars. Pillars of, of what I think are utmost importance, which we're going to then look in more detail when we speak to all of the specialists on the show today. The first one, I reckon, is decor and installation. Uh, when well-developed, decor really sets the atmosphere, atmosphere and the, the tone for all the other activities in the place. Uh, even if the place, you know, if the place isn't warm and inviting, you're not going to want to stay for long, are you? Um, to understand this better, we're going to be speaking to Alex Rinsler of the Pirate Technics Collective, famous for the Burning Man-style sculptures in the centre of the lake that, that, that get burnt during the, the spectacle. Um, and... Of course, the iconic giant fox sculpture, of course, as well, which ended up uh, on the roof of the uh, one of the South Bank buildings. So we're going to hear all about that. The second pillar is the landscape itself, this beautiful, beautiful, natural place itself. So here at Habits Ripton uh, in Cambridgeshire, where the Secret Garden is, they're blessed with a series of, of, of man-made canals and a beautiful lake surrounded by a, a wooded park with willow trees and, and small copses. And this gifts the festival with a location of stunning natural beauty, which when coupled with brilliant decor and, and great lighting, um, it sets this twinkly, cosy scene with little nooks and crannies and clearings that you can stretch out on the grass in and kick back and feel really, really at home. So we'll be visiting the Lost Woods for my Rise and Shine session and my, a morning dance, um, a sort of halfway house between uh, just dancing in a rave and doing some of our dance meditation sessions, the Rise and Shine, sort of informal dance together. And an incredible wooden rave space there, oh my word. So for us, this is a very, very good uh, good example of the, the natural beauty of a festival site. The third pillar is uh, walkabout performers and the little corners you never knew about. Um, spaces to discover and get lost in for hours, meeting new lovelies and, and bumping into odd performers in costume from various wacky troops making you forget completely where your mates might be, for example. And this little corners approach to site design is crucial to creating a more cosy alternative to the wide open spaces of the, the, the many punters run, you know, running backwards and forwards between the various locations. So we'll be, taking, we'll be talking to the creator of the Spiritual Playground, um, formerly of the Village Hall. And these masters of walkabout and interactive performances will educate us in the, the ways of making the punters the centre of the show. Last of all is the games. Uh, this is also crucial to making the punters the stars of this festival. Um, Secret Garden pretty much pioneered this. Uh, several of the innovators um, on the Secret Garden team pioneered the idea of totally ridiculous games for the punters to play with each other and, um, and just watch for sheer comedy value. And these games inject a well-needed element, a really well-needed element of, of engaging the public to get involved in the programme, become the centre of the entertainment. And we're going to be chatting with the most accomplished games makers in the garden themselves, the bearded kitten, about their long journey from the sort of suicide Olympics and the mud pit to this immense award-winning Coliseum venue. Um, well, can't wait to hear about that. And the fifth and last pillar, uh, you know, obviously... It's, you know, last but no means least. It's, of course, the music, which, in my opinion, it's about diversity. Diversity of music is the key to a successful festival program. There's something for everyone. All genres and performances uh, are covered. So the majority of the punters don't even check the program because they're just confident. They can just wander around and find something they like um, pretty, pretty quick. Uh, we're going to be listening to a full range today from Deep House, Reggae, singer-songwriters, gypsy, you know, everything, as you can imagine, from, from the Artful Badger. 
As far as I'm concerned, if any of these five pillars are not there, the festival experience, uh, the festival experience sort of tends to tends to suffer a little bit. Uh, but when all of them are there, on the other hand, the punters go home having had their mind completely blown year in, year out. You know, recipe for genius. But now, um, a random punter that I just bumped into at accreditation. Yeah, I really love going to festivals with my mates. Uh, this year I've been to Sicker Garden Party, Wireless, Field Day, Love Box, can't remember any of them. Uh, munted, proper munted, got caned every time. Um, but for me, it's all about the music, really. Uh, big music buff, big music fan. Um, last uh, festival I went to, I uh, it was Glastonbury, Glaston Bizzle Manizzle, the big one, the big jelly fishel. Uh, saw two bands over four days because basically you just like talk to people and. Uh, at one point, I was talking to this guy for like four hours, having this really, really spiritual conversation about glitter. And it turns out he was a tree. So a really good listener. Intense. Only on Badger Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, the comedian Ben Keenan there. Check him out. This is Ben Keenan. But now a new singer for me, Pumarosa. This is from our new album, The Witch. And this track's called Dragonfly. I wear armor to face the day. My second skin, now it won't go away. Wakes me down the hall. Maybe this could be the right time to shake it loose like a dragonfly. Slide out of my if you do.
Talking of sculptures and installations, uh, at the moment I'm right under one of the most iconic pieces ever done for the Secret Garden, which is a very unique piece of um, a seven metre tall fox made out of straw, which is incredibly unique. And we're going to be talking about that in a minute because I'm sitting with one of its creators, uh, Alex Rinsler. Welcome, Alex. So, listeners, Alex is um, uh, he's a London lad, and he started out as a fire performer, but quite quickly um, got involved in uh, being a sort of cu- a curator and an interfacer um, with his career in international arts and cultural festivals. But I'm not going to say any more because we're basically going to talk about all of that now. Alex, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us on Intense on this this actually sunny Saturday morning. Thank you for joining us. Freddie, thank you so much for having me. So how did the Pirate Technics form and, and what was the intention for the project at the start? So we started off as fire performers uh, in Nottingham, actually, where I studied. And um, I remember at the time working for Red Bull. I was a student brand manager. I'm going to get Red Bull served everywhere <laughs> and they had a sound system run by Tim Harvey and Charlie Dolman mm. who went on to start a whole bunch of stuff yeah. and we were talking and they said oh we're going to do a party next in the summer um, with a whole bunch of people will be there do you want to come down and spin some fire and that was yeah. 2003 um, so we really grew with the festival from the beginnings of less you know three or four hundred people to the institution that it is today yeah um in 2007, Joe Vidler, uh, in our kitchen, <laughs> asked how I could make the show bigger and better. And I said, can we build something big and burn it? And she's like, okay, can you put it in the middle of the lake? I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm grimacing here. I was like, sure, absolutely. Um, we had less than 10 days to do that. We had a thousand pounds. We came up with the idea to, we had to build our own flotation and to make it float ourselves. We didn't know what we were doing. We created a 50 foot papier mache hand, which we completed it and then it rained for two solid days. So the thing got wrecked, but it didn't matter because we'd started something and watching that kind of go up in flames in the middle of a festival and seeing people's response made me realize that this is a really, really good idea. So the initial intention, to come back to your question, the initial intention was to see what we could do with fire performance. Yeah, and an installation growing out of performance. Usually it's the other way around. It is, yeah. Well, I guess I looked around the troupe and saw that we already had the skills. So... Um, Mike, co- co-director, Mike DeButz, can design and make anything. <laughs> we had a someone who could make anchors, knew anything that there was to know about boats. We had a joiner. We had, we had all these. We would had been brought together by an enjoyment of, of of fire and juggling, and yet working together, we could create so much more. And what was amazing about the Secret Garden and the opportunity that well, I know we'll talk about this in a bit, but. Um, here it was, somebody saying, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I thought, let's do something ridiculous. And <laughs> Obviously, and Secret Garden. we came from there. Yeah, exactly. It's that subtext that it has to be absurd and ridiculous, doesn't it? There's what? another intention. The other intention was actually about getting people jobs and skills. I know that sounds a bit glib to say early on, but, uh, you know, the festivals were blossoming in the 2000s. And we all knew, like all of us knew that we're onto a great thing. Mm. And my thought was, you know, People's skill here is really high. Let's see if we can make that into a living. Yeah. 
Right, and that's exactly what you did, isn't it? Mm. So we're sitting in front of the fox, as I was saying before. It's, it's a very unique fox because he's slightly stooped. Uh, he's got a long tail behind him. He's kind of sitting on his haunches in what appears to be quite a forlorn pose with his head, his, his, nuzz, his nuzzles down, his muzzles down, and he's got this furrowed eyebrow. Tell us, tell us the story of the fox, like, in its entirety, and most of all, how did it end up on the, the roof of the Queen Elizabeth Hall in London? So it started, this started in 2011, and a producer at South Bank Centre, uh, Cathy Marga, came to me and said... Um, you know, we're doing the... It's the 50th anniversary of the Festival of Britain. Festival of Britain in 1951 um, was what... Oh, it's the 60th anniversary, sorry. <laughs> sorry I'm going to start that again. Is that all right? <laughs> no, don't worry, man. We're okay. live. So it's the 60th anniversary of the Festival of Britain. Um, in 1951, that, that built those buildings, the Royal Festival Hill, the, uh, Royal, uh, the Queen Elizabeth Hall, the Hayward Gallery, which were built as a tonic to the nation recovering after World War Two. Here's this idea, idea that you have... Um, he- quite healing, a, yes, actually, very socialising. Uh, there was the equivalent of two hundred and twenty million pounds worth of investment at the time. It's oh. absolutely enormous to yeah. try and bring about a healing of society through access and democratising culture. Beautiful. Anyway, so sixty years later, we're asked to create an icon for what it means to be British in twenty eleven. Um, I came up with the idea of a of an urban fox, and foxes are quite a new British icon. Uh, they've moved into our cities as we have over the last 50 years. Um, everyone has a story about a fox. Everybody. This, when, this was hap- when this was created, a fox had been found on the 72nd floor of the, of the shard it was, as it was going up. There's always something in people's... Um, everyone has a story. It's definitely part of the art for Badger, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And, and after... So that was an amazing project. That, um, working with, with, with Mike and uh, Mike DeButz and Alex Heldenese, um, so we had very little time and the same kind of energy that is required for, for putting projects together here, we, we, we put that in and it sat, was um, very successful uh, and then uh, after its time at the South Bank Centre I was looking, I was thinking where it might find a, a longer term home and I approached Freddie uh, to, and his family actually to, to see if, if uh, Abbott Stripton might want to acquire um, Susan is her name. Oh, hello, Susan. <laughs> hello, Susan. Oh, I know yeah. it doesn't look like it now, but <laughs> uh, and he agreed. So this, so a a, 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 a a folly, if you like, as part of a, a festival, a national festival, has found a permanent home at the place where it all began. Absolutely, and and that wasn't the last commission you did for the Queen Elizabeth Hall, was it? So we worked at, at South Bank Centre. I then went on to become a, a producer, uh, creating outdoor works um, uh, for uh, the the South Bank Centre summer program. Um, as an artist, we I say we pyrotechnics. We created um, a twelve meter baobab tree wow. called Under the Baobab, working with students, thirty one students from twenty four countries. Um, uh, to create fabric that represented their migration to London. Right. Uh, went on to create. Um, uh, oh God, my just mine's gone blank. <laughs> 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 the idea is is creating. 
insta like monumental installations that are site specific that respond to their environment but also have that work with communities yeah, that yeah, represent yeah. people's voices in some way or another oh, yeah. you, you don't have, you, the, the fox has actually gone to china twice as well we've created two um large foxes in shanghai no way. as part of the jingan international sculpture project so these yeah. it's, it shows that when you have a good idea and you can have a platform for it it can find different ways of popping up for a very long time and can so they obviously working with such colossal structures um, and obviously working with colossal structures and fire yeah. and then bringing water into that mix as well. I mean, what have been the biggest challenges? Obviously the biggest joys as well, but like what sticks out in your memory? The, challenge, the biggest challenge for us was always to make... to to go beyond people's expectations. I know that sounds, it wasn't good enough for us to create a stage for people to dance on. We wanted to make a work of art. So something that people would look at and be like, oh, how have they done that? Or, you know, there's a, with, with care and attention to make it stand out. If we're going to make a centerpiece installation for a festival, it needs to, it needs to match and meet everything else that's at the festival. So with that responsibility to make excellent work, we always had. Especially um, as a centerpiece, because oh it yeah. becomes a centerpiece of the, you know, and, and explain a little bit about what happens at Secret Garden on the Saturday night, which is very exciting. So the, uh, call it the big burn. The idea is that this, uh, I, like iconic piece of the, um, iconic part of the festival that people have participated in, danced on, touched through the last three or four days, that we would set it on fire, not as an act of vandalism. <laughs> which is tempting uh, as which well. Which is tempting. <laughs> but more as a way of reminding people that this is just a festival. Um, like I grew up in the Jewish community where you have a ceremony at the end of the Sabbath called Havdalah, where you light a many-wicked candle that represents the passage of time between what is special time, the Sabbath, and the mundane time, which is the rest of the week. Mm. And the, the philosophy is that, or part of the philosophy is that if you, if you uh, don't mark the passage of time, it's hard to reflect and then internalize the lessons that that time is suggesting. Mm. And festivals are special time. Like we come here to to explore different identities. We mm. definitely, you know, <laughs> wear slightly different clothes and have different patterns of behavior. Yeah. And that pushes boundaries and it allows you to test identities within a safe environment or mm. a creative environment. For us to to create a spectacle that brings everybody together around a large bonfire, one of the primal, uh, the oldest human traditions at the same time as saying, okay, this is, this is the end. This is where, you know, this is where you go home. <laughs> Any challenges um, of having a fire in the middle of water though? Cause that's less, uh, well, less familiar as a scenario. <laughs> well, logistics, yeah, many logistical challenges. Actually having a fire in the middle of a lake is pretty handy because you have a natural <laughs> exclusion zone and <laughs> if it gets out of control, then you're not far from lots of water. Um, the, the challenges are you know, being sure that you know, there's environmental challenges to make sure that we're not impacting unnecessarily on the surrounding environment. Yeah. And just the, just the logistics of creating a temporary structure that people can dance on and that can float that can have lots of tech on it that won't get damaged or a surface that's regularly even so turntables don't jump. You know, these, these things really complicated. Are, are pretty yeah. complicated. Mm. And, and people would always ask, it's like, oh, 
all that effort for just three days, and then you like, and then you look at, then you look at the, the legacy that these projects have through memories that people have through yeah. the imagery that's created. And actually, the ephemeral nature is quite good, isn't it? Because in a way, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, which year was that? That yeah. image, it's like a fleeting image, and uh, we we see walkabout performance in that way as well. It's like maybe you. Maybe you don't remember it. Maybe you didn't see the whole show. Maybe it's just a snippet. But that snippet leaves this kind of echo, this lasting mm. effect. Absolutely. Um, festivals are ephemeral. They need a start and an end. Mm. Uh, and I think you have... Um, the, 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 scale of, of the, the scale of temporary to permanent, there's a place for everything um, uh, in the work that we do whether you're creating bronze sculptures to sit in the middle of a roundabout in a city or if you're creating um, instantaneous and one-to-one performance art. Um, it's this idea that, you, that we, um, we are the connection between stuff and ideas. Yeah. And, and that, when you're particularly in a place like here, where there are so many ideas and you can see that can spark so much collaboration, new projects, uh, businesses, careers, but also... Um, new art, new mm. creativity. That brings um, me on to Secret Garden itself yeah. because you need a space to put ideas. You need a place. You need, I mean, you know, sponsors a big word, but you need somebody who is interested in curating that work, in taking that work to the people, and uh, doing all the marketing for such events. And everybody across site, particularly amongst our old community, Alex, mm. be, you know, the people who have been working on this festival since the beginning, very, very sort of unerringly, you know, with complete conviction. Everybody has been saying, wow, you know, our lives would be so different if Fred hadn't and, and Tim and, and Charlie hadn't decided to do that first secret garden. And that led to such a sort of knock-on effect in so many of our, mm. our sort of integrated communities because you know we, we are all one community but at the same time we've sort of stimulated other communities mm. you know do you feel that the other festivals uh, have the same understanding of of the potential when you activate artists or have you had a different sort of experience first i think we're very lucky here in the uk that we have incredible festivals hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them who in their own way each create their own identity and have amazingly committed teams of, of highly creative people um, so I think what makes what has made Secret Garden Party special was that, that the creativity was its point of difference um, this uh, provocation or encouragement to people to just to go that extra mile not because they needed to but because um, they, they really could. really really wanted to really want and, it, and a mixture of cajoling and encouragement and forcing and you know there's 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 a whole art to getting the best out of people that the secret garden party has been able to do mm. and for that that made it different absolutely it doesn't it, it never felt like it was a business you know it never felt like we were here to make money or to do a to do a normal job you know and i find i find that very unique, but most of all, you know, my gratitude, and I imagine yourselves, given given everything that's opened up for you, just just has to do with just how many people's lives have been changed, and 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 there's the sort of the the interconnected network there as well. That it's not just one person, it's not just my career. It's the way that we've all just our lives have opened up. You know, socially, creative, spiritually, in, you know, just so many ways. It's it's absolutely bonkers. So, dude, what's next for you and the company? 
And um, how can we keep up with your work? How can the listeners find you? So, uh, I'm as an artist, alexrinsler.com, mm-hmm. as a, work, working mostly internationally now mm-hmm. on, on projects uh, with communities, often to create something large, often that gets burned in the end, but doesn't have to. <laughs> um, so the next, um, just spent a month in in Perth, in Western Australia, with a wonderful group called PVI Collective. Wow. To explore what we might create together. So that's been good. So watch that a lot space. of space out there. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and uh, going back out to China, uh, to Wuhan, to create, um, all being well, to create another version of the Baobab tree that we made. Good. Um, and, w- and where can we find your collaborators from the Pirate Techniques? So, yeah. So, so Mike DeButts is in Shipshape Arts. Dot com shipshapearts.com like and it. then and Beatrix Eden in, in pyrite p-y-r-i-t-e dot com great well, well we'll get these links on the on, on the interview please. as well so people can look it up if they if they need any of this kind of uh, this kind of installation anything working with fire with interactive performance um, and Alex I'm just so so grateful you've taken the time out on your Saturday morning to crawl out of bed and come and talk to us right under this phenomenal sculpture. It's such a pleasure. It's really lovely to get the opportunity to think back on what's been quite an amazing journey. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Alex Ritzer, thank you. Right, so here we are in the Lost Woods and we've just had an amazing time doing Rise and Shine. We've got a morning dance right here in the woods. So as I look around me, there is dappled sunshine coming through this giant mother oak. And the woods is really one of the most beautiful uh, natural landscapes that we've got here. But there are so many. There's the lake, there's all of these landscapes that they've been digging. They've dug other lakes as well. Really, they're using every aspect of the land itself to create something really, really special. Um, So thank you to Mojo Filter for inviting me back into the woods, previously the Badger Woods. And concepts like uh, the Artful Badger, the Lost Woods, and the pirate ship we just heard about, they all draw on the nature of the place uh, for their inspiration. Uh, Structures are built to to provide platforms for performers, Uh, great views across the site for the punters, and trees are used to suspend installations and aerial shows. And um, so across the site, there's all kinds of beautiful things like this. I think they even had at one point, they even had a tree with a complete band hung off it. Um, And they had several bands that played in these harnesses up in the tree. And I remember speaking to them, the band was like, wow, that was the weirdest gig we've ever played. But the public absolutely love it. So this three-dimensional approach to the use of the space uh, gets the most experiential result possible. And it's crucial to, to the festival goes engaging with the space and feeling like they belong. So these small natural in- enclaves also provide the perfect space for more intimate activities, workshops, mask making, kids, whatever, or ecstatic dance as we used to do here in the woods as well. So rise and shine, that was amazing. And just by chance, I just happened to have bumped into an old friend of mine, Smith, who's probably been coming to the Secret Garden as long as I have. And he's a great lover of the entire project. Smitty, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Did you sleep well? I did, I did. I had quite an early one last night. You rose and shone, you rose and shone. Up, breakfast, sauna, 
rise and shine. Oh me. my God, that is exactly what you've got to do, isn't it? So, Smitty, you are a fire performer, aren't you? I, I am, yes. But you, you came into this project in a different capacity because you're involved in the building, is that correct? Yeah, that's that's more what I do these days uh, yeah. is, is working with whoever's doing the big installation in the lake. Right, but what, how important is it to you, this idea of site-specific, you know, of, of really choosing the spot, using nature to your advantage? It, it has to be done. The site is, is crying out for it. It's a stunningly beautiful landscaped garden with trees that have been planted for how they're going to look in a hundred years time. This, this immense thought that's gone into it. Um, so when you're designing these things, when you're brainstorming it, presumably you, you really feel the place before you try you and do. design a concept. You do. I mean, as, as has been mentioned, we started off with a pirate ship and it was in the middle of a lake. So yes, if you've got a bloody great lake, you may as well put a pirate ship in it and then set it on fire. <laughs> so it, it just that's just, just one example. You were saying about the band in the tree. They're, they're fantastic. Exactly. And all the landscaping that's gone on for the new swimming pools and all the new hills and everything that's and opening up the woods. And I, Thinking, thinking sort of broadly about the festi festivals in general, you know, on Intense, we're really trying to get to the bottom of this. Would you say that the natural beauty of the place is central to the success of the festival? It is. It's, it's a reason that I, I like to come here and do the build, mm. because there's, there's very few people and it's not set up. So you can see it come to life and you can see all the flags come out and all the ev everything just just this huge wheel rolling to get the festival actually actually sorted and done and see everything pop up like mushrooms coming out of the ground absolutely everywhere. But there's got to be a harmony, hasn't there? There's got to be this this connection between what you're building on it and what was there before. And I think that's really, really important balance. Well, Smitty, what are you doing? What, what's, what are you up to for the next few days? Uh, the next few days? Um, Basically, my, my one appointment is to watch the thing burn. That's, that's my only appointment. Apart from that, I'm open to all, all the suggestions. Uh, and from beginning to year this morning. Okay. Yeah, why not? What's the theme of the sculpture in the middle of the lake this year? The theme of the sculpture in the middle of the lake is uh, it's a mansion. It's a huge, prestigious, also slightly sort of vain and wanton sort of mansion. It's it's very it's very decadent. So it's uh, I don't know. There's a little bit of worship of Mammon. Um, but there will be there will be a reveal. Uh, there will be the flip side of the coin, but you'll have to wait and see for that. Ah, very curious. Well, Smitty, thank you so much, and thank you for all the years of you just coming in, into the Artful Badger and just offering your amazing fire out of pure passion for the woodland. Yep. Wicked, Smitty. Have a wicked weekend. I will do. Thank you very much, Freddie. So, so good to bump into all of our friends here as we, um, as we wander about. But I've got to say that the, the woods really is one of the most spectacular places and it's been an absolute honour to, to work in here in the nature. And it's going to be so sad not to be able to come back and work with it again. But we'll, we'll have to keep going. Remember, uh, Intense is also at Wilderness and we're going to be doing workshops off-site in the virgin woodland there. So it'll be very, very pristine. Right, so what's next? Shit. Next up, Honey Badger. Mojo Filter, my long-term collaborator, good friend. He especially created this for our Art for Badger's Feral Fever show a few years ago. And Ben provided all the remixes for that. Check out Mojo Filter's remixes, they're all amazing.
from Artful Badger's Love Affair for the 2017 DJ Miles Metric. Check his recent Badger mixes on our mix clouds. He's taken to cataloguing his favourite dance jokes. Oh dear. Lots of big groans, but they're so bad, they're good. Music from the underground. Only on Badger Radio. And here we are back at Secret Garden Party. What a time to be alive. I must say, I'm truly hoping that the weather's on our side this year, especially after last year's sun. Although I'm not going to try and guess. I don't make predictions. Never have. Never will. Plus, if it does rain, ugh, I can't even think of any puns about water management. Damn it. Seriously, though, I'm feeling very emotional about this festival. It was the first one which truly made me fall in love with the revelry and effervescence that comes from being in a field full of music, games, activities, beautiful faces and creative, wonderful souls. Before I was a DJ, I was a lighting technician on and off. So things have certainly changed, and this is now my seventh year on the lineup for Secret Garden Party. I truly do feel so privileged to be able to bring my craft to the incredible humans who attend festivals such as this one. As well as DJing for Wonky Races and Bearded Kitten, I'm really looking forward to getting involved with some activities this year. I'll never forget Sunday morning last year. My yoga instructor was still drunk, which put me in a pretty awkward position. Also, always remember to stay safe at festivals. I'll never forget the year when a lifeguard wouldn't save a drowning hippie. Apparently he was too far out. And if there's one thing I've learned from previous years, it's that a badly timed high five can be a real slap in the face. But most importantly, don't forget to have fun and get as much as you can from this final year of partying in the secret garden. After all, this is a serious party. Intense. Only on Badger Radio. So we're here with Lucy Luce Baker, founder of the Spiritual Playground and the Village Hall, 
and also known as the Man Drag Comedy Theatre Act, Shesus, of Shesus and the Sisters. Starting in textiles and fine arts, she started to experiment with performance and began working for a fun and games organization for adults as a play researcher. Great job. <laughs> this theme has remained at the center of her performances ever since, alongside falling and clowning. She's also training as a shamanic practitioner, learning about nature-based spirituality. Lucy, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking out the time to be with us. Pleasure. So what exactly is the spiritual playground and what inspired you to create it? Uh, the spiritual playground arrived because I needed to think of something to do after the village hall finished and <laughs> there was a space and so I needed to find something to fill it. And I did the really cheesy thing of going to India to find myself. And whilst I was there, I thought... I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something that plays with something that is becoming more and more curious in my life, which was spirituality and my own personal sense of spirituality. And then I sat down with a group of people who'd all been part of the village hall and we kind of came up with what it was and what it would look like and how it would be. And because I was sort of running the thing uh, and I'm a performer as well, I was like, well, who am I going to be? We needed to pick which characters each of us were going to play in the village, in the spiritual playground, I should say, which is very heavily comedy theatre stuff. And I said, well, I suppose I should be Jesus. And so I... Numero uno, number you, one. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's be Jesus. So out I went, dressed as Jesus. I was calling myself Jesus, all the rest of it. Very quickly, I had a very convincing beard on and I very much looked like a man. Very quickly, the Secret Garden Party audience knew something was up when it came to my gender and they started to try to <laughs> sniff out what I was. And when they worked out that I maybe had a vagina, they started to uh, shout Jesus at me and chant Jesus. And that was how I became Jesus. And that is something I have now told you. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Secret Garden, as you know, you've been working here for about 10 years now. Secret Garden's well known for its absurd ideas. Sure. Um, and also for its immersive and interactive performance. But the spiritual playground is dealing with some quite serious themes mm -hmm. and religious personalities. So is the project all irreverence and playfulness? Or is there a part of the program that sort of engages it in a more sort of conventional and sort of profound spiritual way? Well, I suppose where the profound and spiritual part definitely exists is within the team themselves. Mm. Every single one of the performers and most of our whole team have some kind of sense of a spiritual life themselves and they practice this in their own lives and so personally individually everybody has a sense and understanding of that then when we come together as a team there is a deep understanding and awareness between us all of that and so our backstage world is very much steeped in a genuine real connection to the spiritual aspects of our lives, the divine, higher sense, like also the, the nature and our connection to the earth. And so we all work with that individually in a real serious, honest way, I suppose. And you said that that sort of grounds you yeah, in completely. such a way that that then gets taken out front. Yeah, but is it out front? It's just completely irrelevant, total well, absurdity? I think that you can never have one without the other. And so we play with it all and mess about with it and we're totally stupid. We're complete fools. We fuck about all over the place with it. 
but we've never offended anyone. And that's interesting. Mm. And I've been tr trying about dressed as Jesus or Jesus for a while now. No one's ever been offended. And I think it's because the heart of it and the root of it within us all comes from a place that is really honest and is about something very real mm. um, and our intentions are strong with what it is that we're doing. Well that brings me on to my next question. What is the underlying intention of the work? Are you trying to bring some of that grounded spirituality to, to the party crowd? Yeah I guess so. One of the things I've always felt like with the village hall and this now was that there was a lot of beats in the festival and there wasn't much melody. And I wanted to be a bit more of the melody. And also I wanted to be a bit of a mother in a field that maybe there's a lot of kids who are needing a bit of a hug. And I wanted to find a way that could do that, that was still fun and all the rest of it. Like, so we're a mum, we'll give you a hug, but then we'll throw something at you and shout fuck really loud. Like, we, we, you know, we don't want to be totally worthy all the other way and like too kind of like cutesy but it's trying to find a balance between those things I think and have you succeeded I mean in these kind of festivals have you found that the atmosphere of of sort of um abandon and sort of completely letting it all go and getting really wasted have you found that the the balance skews towards the irreverent side yeah, I think there is a pull towards that and kind of over the years, and it's sort of peaked, gone up and down over the 10 years I've been here, that at times um, it, it's felt, years have felt more irreverent and then other years there's been more, there's, it's been a bit more engaged. I think to some extent the village hall and the spiritual playground pull the kind of families, older people and genuine weirdos. <laughs> and that's sort of who we get. We also interact with everybody, of course, but that's the kind of world we genuinely draw. And I suppose that's because who we that's who we are. So on reflection <laughs> on reflection, do you think it's a good or a bad thing that it's kind of skewed off perhaps in a more irreverent direction? I think there needs to be a balance and uh at times Maybe at 4.30 a.m. it's going in a very different direction. Um, but I think of all the festivals I've been to, Secret Garden has struck a balance between those things mm. quite often. Well, that's a great, great result, isn't it? I suppose. Talking about Secret Garden, you've said in the past that you've been inspired and enabled by Secret Garden to pursue ideas that in almost any other kind of space would not be possible mm -hmm. or even acceptable. Yeah. Um, at the Artful Badger, we, we felt exactly the same. And like you, are incredibly grateful for that. Um, and there are people, not just creatives, but uh, you know, musicians and production people across the site saying the same thing. Well, what do you think it is about the Secret Garden concept and approach that, that really sets it apart from other festivals mm -hmm. in that respect? It's interesting, as you said that, I thought about the word secret. And I don't know what I think about that, but there's something about... There's something about that that sets a tone and an energy that then has influenced how the festival is. Of course, it's not a fucking secret. It's like the worst secret ever. Like everyone knows about Secret Garden Party these days. <laughs> but there's something about that that creates some kind of magic around the festival. And also calling it a party, not a festival. That also does something which I think is really key today when we're saturated with the things called festivals. So there's a sort of magic around it because of those things, I think, because of that naming of it and that, that gift of the name of Secret Garden Party. 
And then beyond that, just a real basic thing, which is the team who run it and the guy who started it. That lot have always put creativity first. That has been the most important thing. Yeah. And that's been encouraged and actively encouraged. And it's been supported sort of financially, it, with time, with geeing up, with whatever it is. Like, you know, I'm not naturally a techie person or a production person, but I've learned all that stuff in part thanks to a festival that has held my hand through doing some of that stuff mm. so that I can just do the bit that I know I can do well, which is the more creative side of things. So I think that's, that is the nugget. Like I, I've come up with a stupid thing to do this weekend and I knew that it was maybe a bit illegal and probably couldn't do it, but I asked the core team and they were like, yeah, just do it. Go on then, what is it? <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, come on. <laughs> no this, way. Don't worry, this is going out after <laughs> it will have happened. No, it's not even, it's not even that radical. Um, but just... No, I'm not going to say. I'm going to keep it. That's a secret. Well, listeners, <laughs> it, it is a secret. I'm going to have to write it on the Facebook page after it happens. Sure thing. But we do love those mysteries, so thank you for that. <laughs> Come on, then. Funniest situations that you and your performers have got yourself into, potentially compromising situations. What are, what are the best moments you've had with oh, your performers God. at SGP? I know it's a hard this question. This is a really hard question to answer because my memory is shot right now because I'm so tired. <laughs> um... Oh God, I don't know. There's so many. There's so many strange things. I like my perform performance team that I work with would be so good at thinking of this shit, but I don't remember anything ever. So <laughs> it's really hard. I just maybe maybe think think particularly about moments you've had where you felt a complete transformation in the public member that was a, a, in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because often that was yeah. the, the most exciting times for us where we saw people blossom right in front of us, people who would never have engaged. They would have been terrified. They would have run away yeah, when they yeah. see a performer coming to talk sure to thing. them. I suppose a big one is we've run fashion shows for years. So eight years we've been doing fashion shows here. And it's all about the audience. And uh, we throw the odd performer in to kind of keep the like energy up mm. but we have watched so many people walk down that catwalk all kinds of people little little kids like all a whole range of people do it and you see you do see people transformed by the like they're afraid to do it they don't want to do it but our performance team drag them into it and the audience loves it so much that and everyone's so excited for anyone just showing off. And they might just be wearing some generic festival gear. <laughs> but the fact that they're doing it means that everyone loves them. And that's what it's about. Like, being directly involved. Like, you don't... I, I'm tired of just sort of passively watching things and consuming things. So you want to come away with memories where you were the fucking middle of the show. Exactly. You want to be that. And like, that's a big bit of Secret Garden for me, is yeah. that the, the punter becomes... The festival, exactly, you know? and that's exactly. one of our big mottos at the Artful Badgers: "You are the badger." You yeah, know? yeah. And I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Okay, right. Absolutely sure. Not even a, a <laughs> sheezes <laughs> moment. One particular <laughs> sheezes no. moment that, that remained in your memory. No, the, the only thing that I keep thinking of is really just Messiah Complex kind of <laughs> shit. So I don't, I don't know. I got two dinner ladies once to be a bodyguard for me because the first year I came out, a lot of girls in particular just 
wet themselves for me because I look great as a man. Yeah. And um, so I had to have these two dinner ladies that followed me around sort of protecting me because I was getting harassed. But harassed in a, that, in a kind of like you're amazing like, way. Well, yeah. And it's sort of like people jumping on me, people pulling up my skirt, people wanting pictures. Like it was overwhelming. And so my Messiah complex was like on fire. Well, you know, uh, there's not that many <laughs> mandrags around these days. So it's there's more got, and more, yeah, but not many. I'm glad to hear. <laughs> so what's next for you guys? Uh, if Secret Garden is going to end, obviously there's lots of mm-hmm. mystery around that, mm-hmm. which makes, yeah. you know, which kind of adds great. to the yeah. uh, excitement. Yeah. But if it does end, do you do other festivals? Do you feel like it's, it's time for a, another taking stock, like when the Village Hall... Yeah. kind of changed as well or are you going to take this forward yeah I, th- I it is a big take stock moment for me for sure um i and and the the secret garden party ending is definitely a chance for me to reflect and it's sort of taken out of my hands that it's ending mm. so i am at a point in my life where i do need to reflect and so i'm going to take some time out and i don't know what will happen in the future or where i will go but i know that I do love something about festivals and I do care about the future of festivals and where they're going. And I'd like to, you know, there's things about, uh, something about festivals needs to change in my opinion. And I don't know how, but Mm. I need to sit on that egg for a year at least to know what that is. And letting these concepts sort of rebirth and re-churn and come out in different ways is a really good way of doing it. I think that's what needs to happen, yeah. Lucy, thank you so much. Thank you so (laughs) much. Tell us, how can we follow your work? Where can the listeners go? I'm so invisible. I'm on uh, She's and the Sisters. She's as S-H-E-S-U-S and the Sisters, S-I-S-T-A-S. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and that's about the only presence I have in the world. Well, you're definitely (laughs) very much present here uh, at the Secret Garden this year and we hope to be hearing much, much more of you and thank you so much for joining us on Indense. Let the party begin. Thank you, Lucy. up next they've been regulars of the garden for years and Intense is going to be catching up with them at Wilderness too if you're curious about this completely international Irano Balkan fusion group this is Samia from the new crowdfunded album
que c'est d'aimer Je voudrais bien savoir Combien d'étoiles voulez-vous avoir Bonjour, bonjour, Samia Partagez le monde avec moi T'es mon velcro, Samia Ma jolie chérie, pain au chocolat Goodness, did we have a good night last night? So my voice is a little worse for wear. Um, so turn it up a little bit so you can hear me better. Right, we're on to the fourth pillar, in my opinion, uh, of utmost importance to, to festival experiences, and that's games and non-musical entertainment. So as we've just heard from Lucy, playfulness playfulness is is really central to a festival spirit. 
And without it, our high-pressure everyday lives uh, would would find it very difficult to switch off for the weekend. Um, but the simple act of just making an idiot out of yourself, trying something you've never done before, uh, in front of all your mates and a fair few randoms as well, just really puts a smile on people's faces and makes them forget all their troubles. Um, as I said, the curation of Secret Garden is always put very, very high on the agenda. Um, as long as 10 years ago, actually, the these interactive games. Uh, Suicide Olympics, the dance-off, wonky races, pig racing, along many others, um, pull really quite large crowds away from the music stages, which, which really you, you wouldn't expect, would you? Um, so earlier, to understand this better, we caught up with the complete legends of this field, the bearded kitten, to find more, uh, to find out more about this this kind of game brain approach. Found them. I'm here in the back of house of bearded kitten, of their coliseum, their giant arena, and I've found the guys who started it all, Barney and Frodo. Barney and Frodo are Devon boys. Uh, Barney's background is a, is as a filmmaker. But he hated the media industry and uh, realized that his hobby of producing fun events was in fact what he really wanted to do as a career. And Frodo, trained in film as well, uh, played in a band, but was drawn to autistic care and education. But like Barney, uh, found yourself working more and more as a compare and a games master. Barnes, Frodo, welcome to Badger Radio and to Intense. And thanks for taking the time out. You must be so busy. Thanks, Fred. Yes, as the rain is pouring down, uh, we're just wondering if anyone's actually going to come into the Coliseum today. <laughs> it might be a, wor a, a worthy day off, after all. I wish it was that simple, wasn't it? So, guys, I've been coming here for about 10 years, uh, since its third year, and there were only about 2,000 people. We remember it well, don't we? It was a beautiful, very intimate setting. But the happening that left the most lasting impression on me was the Suicide Olympics and the mud wrestling pit hosted by this funny, eccentric group of friends that over the years went on to form your interactive company, The Bearded Kitten. My favorite sport of those early years was the suicide hurdles, just to give the listeners an example. This was in which competitors were partially handicapped by various limbs being kind of impeded. Yeah, or shoelaces tied together. Oh, that's a classic. And, and then they just literally run through themselves, uh, as it were, because they sort of smashed into the various obstacles and, of course, to the joyous uproar of the crowd. So, gents, like, give us a bit of background. How exactly did Bearded Kitten start? And what's the overall intention, Barnes? Well, 2007 was our first year um, as Bearded Kitten working at Secret Garden Party. It's our first ever festival event. Before that, we had just done, uh, ran a backroom bar selling laughing gas. So we were here in the garden, never done, never worked at a festival before, and we pitched the Secret Garden Party mud wrestling. And we did that by building a bowl full of mud and sticking in some Barbie dolls, uh, holding a proposal for hey, Sue Garden Party, we want to do mud wrestling. All we need is five tickets and a couple of spades. So no CAD drawings, literally mud and a Barbie doll. No CAD drawings, no risk assessments. <laughs> we didn't want any money. We would pay for everything, you know, all the crew to get here, pay for the megaphones. Um, and we hand dug that pit, the two of us, and then three of our friends, um, Steph, Chabet and Sophia, were our ring girls, who were wearing armbands and uh, went round the ring with their, you know, number one, number two. And then myself, Frodo, Timmy and Dickie compared it. So Timmy and Dickie are the other directors of this fantastic company who, who certainly can't be with us today, but 
they are equally responsible for this madness. What about the intention, Barnes? Think, put yourself in the position of you, what you wanted to give the punters. What, what was it, the experience you wanted to offer? Well, back then, you know, the sort of alternative musical entertainment wasn't really a big thing. There was, you know, small little things, maybe some comedy or, you know, some cabaret, but, you know, interactive entertainment wasn't a huge thing no. like 10, 10, 11 years ago. It was pretty much pioneered by the Secret Garden Party, as far as I can tell. I think so. I think you know, Garden Party was a definitely a massive part of that. And we had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had teamed up with uh, a company called Fish Seeks Bicycle, and we were doing all of their kind of alternative music entertainment, myself, Dickie, Frodo and Timmy. And we were like, this is brilliant fun. I think we can do this as a whole separate company. Yeah. And, and we what did. were you bringing, the, the punters who you were drawing in? What was it you wanted them to, to, to feel and to do and it, to experience? You know, for us, Bearded Kitten, it's all about making the punter the hero. Exactly. You know, you, we, we come to these festivals, we spend the whole time watching these heroes and massive people on stages and DJs, and it's like, they are, you know, the gods. And we were just like, you know what? Let's just make that guy there. He could be a hero and he doesn't know it. He could be the best mud wrestler in the world. He could be the best person at eating 20 Weetabix. And he's going to become... <laughs> dry. <laughs> dry. And he's going to become the best hero. And like, there's going to be hundreds of people shouting his name. And that's what we loved. And although, you know, Frodo especially, is it, the funniest compares ever... The, the the laughter and entertainment came from the punters. Exactly. And that's that's where, you know, Bearded Kitten, you know, that's where the heart of it came. It's like, we want to make the guests, the you know, the, the unsung heroes. And I think that, that kind of resonates with, you know, kind of the whole Secret Garden approach in a way in general. Now, yeah. Is that, that you guys are the centre. In our place, it was like, that everybody's a badger, you know. Exactly. Yeah. We were. We, it's about inclusivity, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to... Well, I think, I mean, for me, you know, in those early years where we were lucky enough to um, be able to have a stage and do those things and invite people to become the star, those stars soon became the, the hosts of other <laughs> venues, you know, like the, the dance-off guys, um, the, any of the action camps, the wonky sports guys, they came back the following year and were like, well, hang on, if those guys are doing it, we can do something. And they pitched a, s a similarly stupid idea, um, which was approved in a flash um, <laughs> for five tickets and, and no money and a couple of spades but then you know we can come back next year and we're encouraged to create something better and we're given that kind of freedom of expression and, and allowance to yeah, and the materials yeah, yeah to, and the support yeah. to, you know to create something else okay Frodo while you've got the mic a few years ago, you got married. Congratulations to both of you, by the way, who are recently dads. We are, yeah. yeah we'll Week apart. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that changes the uh, the toing and froing of this adventure. I think it's got better. Yeah, and you got married, and your mates, led by producer Reese Clark, uh, recorded a track for you and made a music video on your stag do in Serbia. Barney wrote the lyrics, and the track includes this line that just really caught me. It said, "What are the rules? Only Frodo knows." Now, I'm assuming that's because <laughs> many of your games, whether completely incomprehensible or beautiful in their simplicity, have been invented about you. My question is really, how do you go about creating these games? Because I tend to work backwards. I like, right, this is the visual effect that I want and the, the experience for the punter. How, you know, what can I do to get that kind of impact? And then I create a game around that. But what, what, how do you work for it? 
Well, I was kind of, I suppose, loosely given the reins. I mean, it was definitely a collaborative thing, but loosely given the reins of the kind of games master in the early years. And um, often I think they were centred around uh, Secret Garden and, and perhaps Jim's uh, themes for the festival. So trying to try and kind of loosely g- grab a theme and turn it into a game. Mm. Um, but Generally, it was just silly names, basically. A pun, basically. We'd start off with a with a name for something, and then see what game we could create around it. Give um, us a couple of examples. Um, whose whose line was it anyway? I don't know if that ever actually turned into a game, <laughs> but that's always been one. If anyone's got a game for whose lime is it anyway, <laughs> whose lime? I would love t- texting. Get us on the Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't know. The, the, the favourites over the years: um, Wet and Dry. We we suddenly found ourselves we had this big bertha kind of uh, water cannon so we we had the wetness of what was the dryness we couldn't import sound from the sahara um maybe the dryness of the mouth so it's weetabix and the dryness of the mouth so we had this girl um get soak herself as a race it was a relay race to soak herself at one end get to the other end and uh, like kind of neck weetabix you ever tried doing that it's pretty hard really um this girl did about 18 i think she was a whole box and it, was, it was just so fantastic because this this big bertha was basically a fireman's pressured hose so we're spraying it yeah. high pressured into her face and I remember like just like Frodo just like yeah, get, let's get her in the face a bit more <laughs> just like trying to eat we was like, <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen I, rem- I remember seeing Barnes and Dickey on a, a, a Sunday filling up your giant water spraying device and both of you had this look of complete naughtiness in your eyes like, who are we going to get next? We weren't also sure if it was, you know, it wasn't kind of tested. There was a slight fear that it might explode at any moment. Um, <laughs> well, talking about exploding, right? The Coliseum, obviously, many years later, you, you know, you... Uh, have this festival award-winning SGP venue of colossal proportions that is basically a copy of the Roman gladiatorial tradition. So what's the concept, Bart? Well, for the games, it now falls into three words which we like all of our games to have, and that is pain, nudity, and humiliation, which we've now put up (laughs) above the doors of the Colosseum. At least they know what they're getting themselves into. Exactly. And if, if our games don't have either a bit of nudity, they're a little bit painful, or they're not humiliating, then it's just not worth doing. They're just, they're just not in. They're not in. So, uh, so, you know, we're about to be playing a game called Wax On Wax Off, where we have a giant truss Brilliant. now, and we cover, we find two hairy men, we cover them in wax strips, and the aim of the game is to wax each other and pull those wax strips off. And the person who pulls all of them off first off this component is the winner. Oh, and you, and the, the games girls, who should also get a mention here, they're like they are the they're running the show. Jessie um, Lou. All all over the years, you've had a, a plethora of amazing, beautiful girls doing doing this <laughs> job, and so they 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 they're putting these wax strips on. So they, you you might get a wax strip on the eyebrow, the uh, the ball sack, the top of the forehead. You know, like it, it could be anywhere. So. Um, unfortunately, even even if you've won, you still got to remove those wax strips. <laughs> exactly. No win situation, basically. The pain is definitely present. Yeah. So Barnes, how did all this turn into a business? Obviously, dealing with corporates is very different. But you say it's a flagship venue. Presumably, the the silliness, the fun, the outrageousness is kind of what the brands that might urge towards your side of things are looking for. They're looking for, for entertaining the kids. 
Absolutely. I mean, back in the day when we started, we never thought this would become a business. We never thought we were going to become professional mud wrestling compares. And, you know, you know, we never thought we could start inventing games for game shows. It was purely out of the love for festivals and to see if we can go to as many festivals as possible without paying for a ticket. <laughs> I <laughs> remember that state of mind. And, you know, maybe if we can get any money, then we can buy some weird costumes for or, us to or wear. Or some extra booze for the crew. Or, and extra yeah. booze for the crew. Hello. I remember one year Barney, uh, he hadn't told us, it was kind of a surprise, he was like, Timmy, vote. I've got these velour suits that are turning up for, I can't remember which festival it was. And they were these hideous things. <laughs> and we lost them after about two shows, but they were like, you know, they were like £80 each, like custom built to our size, velour tracksuits. Absolutely disgusting. Really, really important company I mean, I investment, I think. Uh... <laughs> yeah. they were, I mean, they were great. They were wonderful. We did actually spend all of our profits on silly outfits, and that was basically <laughs> it. I mean, big chill we were. Putting it back into the company, yeah. Yeah. Leopards and but how does it vary? What I'm saying, what I'm asking, really, is: is it as satisfactory? Uh, are you getting the same, you know, quality of uh, not only product but also the reaction from the public, or does it feel a little bit like so traipsing off to work <clears throat> in comparison? Absolutely not. We, we, we when we started, obviously, we, we didn't think it was going to become a business, and as we did it over the years, more and more brands started becoming a little bit interested and they were like there's a lot of people going to that and this is a, a start when experiential marketing had just started to become a little bit of a thing so with experiential marketing and i'm talking about you know i don't know a a stand for vodafone in a shopping mall where people can try out a new game it's you know that was the very basics and then we were kind of coming up with these crazy stupid ideas which were really engaging the audience and we were filling up a massive venue where people were playing these very stupid games. So we Associated with the brand. Exactly. So job so it, done. The brands and agencies were like, let's stick a brand in it. And then we get loads of attention for that brand. So really, actually, it's not so different from what it is that you developed here for the, for, for the festival punters. It's great. I mean, what's brilliant and very lucky about our company is we've now got reputation for, for being the weird people. Outlandish. Yeah. yeah, very kind of like coming up with the very strange ideas. So all of our briefs that we are sent... They wouldn't even call brands, if it wasn't completely mental. It's completely yeah. mental. So that's why we still love it. And, you know, every event that we do is, is pretty out there. And this is it, isn't it? You are, you know, I, I wanted to say living the dream. You know, you have come to do what it is that you find most fun in the world as a job you've got a successful company you must be really really proud guys it's but, an, yeah on. it's yeah. it's great i mean bidikit now is well 12 people full-time we have a you know, huge amount of freelancers the other day we worked out that, that we had 120 people working for us in one day <laughs> who are extremely proud to to work for you by the way i mean i'm sure they tell you yeah, then we have an amazing crew. But a lot of that is thanks to to Garn Party because we've all met each other. Yeah, we've absolutely. Met the best crew. And this is my, it's, it brings me on to the last and potentially most important question. Everybody across site, all different crews, production people, musicians, they're all saying the same thing that they're just incredibly grateful. Artful Badger included here for not only the opportunities from a work point of view, but the, the amazing group of friends, the family, I mean, it's more than friends, this is family. All these great collaborators, I mean, we have a network of people, we could, you know, you could say, right, I need uh, a metal worker to, to make a sculpture of a sort of naked, upside down, 
you know, a baboon, mm. and, uh, and someone will go, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. You know, I mean, these things have all come from Secret Garden. What do you think it is about what Secret Garden offered from the beginning, the intentions from the beginning of the directors? What do you think it offers that sets it apart from other festivals? Well, I think, I'm sure you've got an answer for this, Rhodes, but I think it's, it's they were one of the first people to, to really look into production decor and non-musical entertainment. Yeah. And back then, you know, look at your, your Leeds, your Reddings or your other festivals, it was tents and sound systems and headliners. Yeah. And and that, that was it. So for a festival to start going, hey, let's actually, instead of spending that 50 grand on a headliner, let's put it into making it look amazing with art, installations, amazing decor for these venues. And then also some crazy daytime entertainment, which is non-musical and gets people And makes them the heroes. Exactly. Well, Barnes, thank you so much. And to you too, Froads. You've really helped us to to get a better insight into this. Uh, you know, really, we were there just at, at the start, at the changing point where this transition to a whole new thing. And as somebody else, uh, Alex Rinsler, has said this morning, you know, talking about the, the Fox, it, we were in the right place at the right time, weren't we? I mean... I, I, that's what exactly what I was going to add. I don't know whether it was a lucky moment, a di- disassociated kind of generation, but it was. It seemed like a coming together and that energy and um, a lot of people, the right right place, right time, really brought something to the party and were allowed to do that. Mm, and this is it, guys. So thank you so much for the insight, guys. All the best with Bearded Kitten. Thank you so, so much. Have an amazing rest of Secret Garden. Thanks, Freddie. Get delicious. With Badger Radio. So I played the next artist a lot alongside Mojo Filter. I just can't stop putting stuff on his uh, my, on my podcast for this guy. This is Olaf Stutt uh, from Holland. Ben brought him over a few years ago, and um, literally he's been back every single year. Um, it's just one of those festivals you just get addicted, and um, and also the woods really, really are perfect for his very, very deep and very instrumental style. He's he's probably the most experimental producer uh, in experimental music, uh, electronic music at the moment. So ladies and gentlemen, this is Olaf Stutt with Ella Terminal um, from his new album uh, released last Christmas uh, on Automation Records. Check this out.
last but not least, quite obviously, is the music. The last pillar, the most important in a way. What can we do without the thousands of musicians and DJs who come flocking to festivals uh, to share their music, uh, the music they've been working on so hard to perfect, get really tight to mix, to produce. Uh, without them and the insane diversity of genres and fusions they're bringing, uh, what point would there be to go to a festival, quite simply? Uh, that said, it's not every festival that gives you that level of diversity. So we're really lucky at these more alternative festivals. For example, uh, the next artist I'm going to play, uh, the, a really good example of this kooky kind of programming style, uh, perfected a lot also by Chris Tofu, who uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, at Wilderness, uh, an incredible innovator in music programming. Um, but this is Earl Okin. Now, Earl Okin has been playing in the garden almost every year for more than 12 years. Uh, in his late 60s now, Earl looks like he's walked out of a Cary Grant movie with shining spats, uh, perfectly pressed pinstripe suits and uh, horned rim glasses. He sings these very smooth storytelling songs loaded with double entendre, uh, which gets a really good cackle from the, um, from the crowd. And his singer-songwriting really just reduces them to very silent and attentive, adoring fans, uh, usually pissing themselves laughing as well. Check this one out. Uh, this isn't such a comic one, but this is uh, more lilting. This is uh, a little bossa nova called Time from Earl Oakin. absolute joy to share this experience with you and I really hope you've enjoyed it too uh, really special for me to explore uh, a festival so close to uh, all of my my life and my career first uh, so it will be really really lovely to take that energy forward into the other festivals we'll be covering uh, remember we're going to be at Mandrea we're going to be at Wilderness so keep an eye on the Mixcloud feed 
um, over the next few months because we've got some great stuff. Please write to me uh, at freddy at arfelbadger.org if you want to suggest any guests, uh, get new music to me, or just have a chat, you know. When it comes to love, I dream of you. Am I reaching for a star? So it remains for me really only uh, to thank the, all of the Secret Garden uh, designers and, and owners, directors who put in so much work over these years and made us feel so at home and so enabled and empowered. And a particular thank you uh, from me personally directly to my friend Freddie Fellows for everything he's brought to my life. Um, and on behalf of the Artful Badger crew and all uh, of the other crews, if I may permit, uh, really you have given us a, an extraordinary um, entrance into this world of events and music and, uh, and everything that comes along with the festival. So thank you, Fred, and thank you, Secret Garden. Badger Radio. So let's wind up this first show with one of my favorite groups, The Correspondents. Uh, they rinsed it in the, uh, the kitchen last night and they too were very emotional, reminding us that they started many of their, they, they showcased many of their new tracks uh, here at Secret Garden and following the closing down of loads of questionable establishments in the throbbing heart of London party life. This is The Correspondents' 2011 track, uh, which they debuted at Secret Garden. What's happened to Solo? Where will all the reprobates go? The landlords say your lease is up The council says you are corrupt Either way, you got to go To make way for a new Tesco They sanitize and clean Unpick it at the seam Unravel and destroy A decade of what has been Wave goodbye To the whole damn scene Bye, bye, bye Much in soaked dream Oh no, what's happened to Soho? Oh no, where will all the reprobates go? Oh no, what's happened to Soho? As their small empire sinks Now empty rooms resound With the memories of a million drinks Then the brightest stars In the blackest night Burn themselves out So the subjects all take flight It's over, there can be no doubt I know Soho is a parody of itself I know a few frequent the stairs Sit on the shelf Regaling first-hand histories They did not even live in every group there's those that have nothing left to give Oh no, what's happened to Soho?
once again for tuning in to Badger Radio and our new show, In Dance, with me, Freddie Drabble. Um, it has been a great, great laugh, and uh, really hoping you're all going to tune back in to Mixcloud uh, over the next few weeks as we go off to Wilderness and Madrea Festival. Keep an eye on us there. Uh, there's going to be more Totem coming and more Alpha Badger's Love Affairs. We love you. Badger! Badger Radio.